Welcome to Truth in Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. April is National Child Abuse Prevention Month, and on this episode, Bishop talks about ways we can prevent abuse, including our diocesan safe environment program. Then he talks about the different types of abuse, warning signs it may be happening, how Catholic Relief Services is addressing child abuse on a global level, as well as a French saint who endured years of abuse as a child and developed a profound faith and trust in God. Then Bishop answers listener-submitted questions on topics including the desperate situation that leads parents to send their children alone to the U.S. border from Mexico and South America, as well as whether or not yoga and games like Dungeons and Dragons are entry points for evil spirits, and some of the worrisome deliberations coming from the National Synod of German Bishops. If you have a question for a future episode, submit it at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop or download the free Redeemer Radio app onto your smartphone or tablet and select Ask Questions. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. It's always good to see you, Bishop. Thanks, Kyle. Great to see you. We have a question somebody was asking about baseball. Do you go to very many baseball games? Well, it's been a while because of the pandemic. Hopefully this summer I'll be able to. I usually get uh-huh. to go to a couple Tin Caps games. Uh-huh. And That's the Fort Wayne I, team here. Yeah, uh, and every now and then I've gotten to a Cubs. I got, I've only been twice, I should, twice to a Cubs game, but I've always enjoyed South that. South Bend Cubs or Chicago Cubs? Chicago Cubs. Okay. Yeah. Haven't seen my favorite team, though, in years. Okay. Well, we'll save that. Okay. You can... Because that's what the question is. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Okay. All right. Do you have an opening prayer for us? Sure. Why don't we continue praying the Regina Chaley since we're in the Easter season? Still Easter. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Queen of heaven, rejoice. Alleluia. The Son whom you merited to bear. Alleluia. Has risen as he said. Alleluia. Pray for us to God. Alleluia. Rejoice and be glad, O Virgin Mary. Alleluia. For the Lord has truly risen. Alleluia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Why is it sometimes with an A and sometimes with an H? The Alleluia or Hallelujah? Oh, I don't know. Where do you come up with these questions? Is, is like I, one Greek or something <laughs> like that? or No, I, I, I don't know. Hallelujah. I, no, I think the Greek, I don't. You know, I have to look at my Greek uh if it has the mark over the A, which would mean you pronounce it like H, um, that's a huh. good question. But yeah, I'll to look that up. Maybe a question for Monsignor Heinz. That's right. He'll know the answer. Yeah. <laughs> or Brian uh, McMichael might know the answer to sure, our sure. liturgist. All right. Well, April is Child Abuse Prevention Awareness Month, which is such an important time each year for us to remember this. And I think... Awareness and prevention are two different things, but being aware of how we can prevent is very important. So maybe you can talk a little bit about what's happening here in the diocese and and what we can or should be doing and be aware of. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm very glad that our parishes and schools, not only in our diocese, but across the country participate in National Child Abuse Prevention Month, because it's a big problem in our society. And of course, you know, with the church, we had to deal with the the terrible tragedy of 
of sexual abuse of minors by by some clergy, and um, so we've learned a lot about the grave harm that's done, not only uh, sexual abuse, but also other kinds of abuse, uh, and how this can be devastating to children. Mm-hmm. Also, neglect, um, and it affects it affects kids. You know, we see it across the board of different ages, male and female, different races, different income levels. So it's important for us to be aware of this scourge in our society and to look at ways to prevent it, look at risk factors that contribute to abuse and neglect of children, and then you know, recognize the signs that a child is being abused or, or a child is being neglected. So a lot of this is part of education. That's why I think the Child Abuse Prevention Awareness Month is very good. It's very educational. A lot of resources out there and programs of prevention like we have here in our own diocese. We see, for example, some of the risk factors, parents who are involved in substance abuse, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of abuse takes place, uh, or I think a, a good majority of it takes place within families mm-hmm. um, or extended family. Oftentimes, a child uh, is abused by someone they know, not a stranger. As a matter of fact, I think 90% of ch- child sex abuse victims are abused by someone that they know and trust mm. or someone that the family knows and trusts. Mm-hmm. And uh, it could be someone in the home. It could be a minister, a teacher. It could be a, a coach, a teammate. We see all this. Um, so sometimes they're neighbors. But the fact is 90% of children who are victims know their abuser. And sometimes it could be an older child or teenager abusing Mm -hmm. a younger child. With most predators, it begins with a grooming process, and it's so we can be alert to to that. And perpetrators will often look for passive, quiet, troubled, lonely children who are from single parent or broken homes. We'll see that happening. We saw that in the the, the church's sexual abuse crisis. The month is it goes beyond sexual abuse, but but there can also be uh, physical abuse, and there can be you know other kinds of abuse. So we need to try to prevent it as much as possible. I remember once as a priest, the very sad situation of having a funeral of a baby who died of that shaken infant syndrome mm, yeah. uh, with head trauma, and. We read about that where a baby is crying a lot or and, uh, you know, a parent, uh, particularly the father, just gets frustrated and just shakes the baby and causes head trauma and brain injury because they're violently shaking an infant. And, um, you know, I remember one extremely sad case where this took place and I had the funeral and that's really the leading cause of physical child abuse deaths in the U.S. is this abuse of head trauma. Hmm. And the trigger for it is this crying, et cetera, that just gets on the nerves of the, uh, of, of the caregiver, uh, often the, a man uh, who's just so frustrated, you know. And some youth services will reach out to men and talk about ways to relieve frustration and build stronger bonds with their little child and teaching them how to remain calm, to take a time out and don't take it out on the baby. There's also importance for us, and we're very alert to this in our schools, for example, of 
of seeing signs that a child may be being abused. And it's important for us to, and for people in general to, if they notice things that are troubling, to report them. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's an unexplained bruise or an injury, cuts, whatever it might be, burns on their body. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes you see harsh disciplinarian, a caretaker, a parent who's always very negative about their child or tries to conceal or mislead about a child's injuries. As I mentioned, substance abuse is one of the things that is often associated with um, with abuse of children. Um, when it has happened, of course, there's the need for helping the person and or the child to recover and to heal from this. And that's another part of of this month. Even though the month is primarily looking at prevention, it's also a time to think of, you know, the the help that a child would need to recover. I think one of the things that's important for parents is is how to protect their children from sexual abuse and to help them to like if they are uncomfortable with that they that their parents say, yeah, if someone makes you uncomfortable, an adult or someone older, you know, let us know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, sometimes, you know, they might, you know, be reluctant to to let their, their parents know. So it, it may not be comfortable for a parent to talk about these things with their child, but but it is important. And to, you know, empower the children to say no if someone is is touching them inappropriately or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyhow, I think if if a child also makes a report, it's important to trust the child, to mm-hmm. believe the child, tell them it's not their fault, um, make sure they know you love them. And of course, you have to use language that's appropriate and understandable for a child in talking about something like this. Some of it depends on the level of maturity of the of the child and where they're at in their development. Um, it's really tragic when an innocent child suffers from any kind of abuse mm-hmm. or or neglect. And I know having been involved with church and school things, you know, we always have to go through the safe environment training. Part of that is checking off the box that I'm not going to do these kinds of things. And they do a background check and, you know, you shouldn't be alone with a child in a room and, and things like that. But then part of it is also being able to identify these other things. And every, I know sometimes it just becomes a, a huge pain that you have to do this thing every five years and you have to watch a video and answer questions and people get frustrated or whatever. But I feel like every time I watch those, I learn something and I'm surprised like, oh, having a kid keep secrets or giving a kid special gifts, like this is part of the grooming process. Mm-hmm. Like I would never think of anything if if somebody was offering my kid a gift or and not that gift giving is 100% wrong all of the time and stuff like that, but things to watch out for, whether it be your own child or somebody else's child, uh, if you're a teacher or volunteering or whatever, things to be aware of and looking out for. It's I think it's important that we take those seriously and not just how quickly can I get, get this over this. with, but like really look at it as an opportunity to say, I'm going to be working around children. How can I help to keep them safe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I think to be alert to warning signs, you know, in the cases that we've had to deal with in the diocese, you know, you see some common signs like 
declining academics, mm-hmm. declining academic performance, some changes in a child's personality, mm-hmm. maybe starting to get more angry and aggressive, you know, withdrawing from family or friends not interested anymore in activities that they usually enjoy. When you see these kind of, you know, there's there might be something else happening, that, right. God forbid, but it might be abuse. So I think it is important to be alert to those. Um, and then also really important is to watch the stuff on the internet, you know, or the, the uh, communications. That I think is, um, I think it's important that, that parents see what they're, kids are doing because some of this can, this grooming can take place via social media, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think there needs to be monitoring of, of that. Yeah. I mean, sending of inappropriate pictures and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it doesn't always have to be from an adult. Uh, You mentioned older siblings or relatives or friends or whatever, uh, but also other minors, you know, can... Yep. be abusing other minors. So, And sometimes there'll be um, someone, I mean, I've seen some TV shows on this, you know, sometimes someone could be posing as another child on the internet right. and actually be an adult perpetrator. So, yeah. So I get, what is available in the diocese as far as training or reporting goes? Well, anyone who's uh, employed by the diocese or or doing any kind of volunteer work with youth has to go through our safe environment program, as you know. Also, you can just look at the state of Indiana. You know, they have that whole prevent child abuse uh, program, the Indiana Youth Services Association as well. So there's there's a lot of public education out there that someone can go to. There's also this website called somethingtheyknow.info. Hmm. Some, that's a statewide multimedia public education outreach campaign to raise awareness about child sex abuse. That's specifically about child sexual abuse, and that's sponsored by this Prevent Child Abuse Indiana. So, okay. so I recommend those those resources as well. And then on a global perspective, is this something like is CRS involved with this at all? Or oh, very it, much. Okay. Um, you know, Catholic, Catholic Relief, Relief Services, Services is very much involved in protecting children and vulnerable adults from harm. You know, we at, at CRS, I'd say maybe six or seven years ago, developed or implemented a protection policies, a contractual agreement by all staff who are trained in this, held accountable, and they have to report incidences of abuse, all of our staff when they observe or hear about a suspected case. So kind of what we're doing on in the diocesan level, CRS is also doing around the world. And um, But not only that, even in its services, working to prevent child abuse. Um, you know, we do a lot with child migration, you know, and that's when you think of all these kids who are refugees, you know, and, and the dangers in some of those refugee camps, for example. Mm-hmm. I remember, I forget which trip it was, I also saw some of the methodologies using puppets and that to to help children who've been affected by war and conflict sure. to, yeah. um, you know, to experience some emotional uh, recovery. Mm-hmm. And um, so we do a lot to help kids who've been hurt. Obviously, our work's in education, but 
I'd say throughout um, CRS services, this is is part of what we what they do. We also have to deal with people, kids who've been involved, who've been made orphans because of war, um, mm. you know, and, and or because of natural disasters, mm-hmm. like in Haiti, the earthquakes. So there's been a lot of work to to help and find care for these children, orphans and other vulnerable children. So there's a lot of work with kids, a lot of work. And we advocate a lot for the rights of children. Well, yeah, I suppose, I don't know if it's directly related or if it's tangentially related, but like not just abuse, but also trauma, trauma. that a kid might go through, whether it be a natural disaster or uh, even, I think, you know, like experiencing or being around at a time of war or seeing on, things on the news or you know, go to websites that kids shouldn't be going to, you know, that that can be traumatic and have an impact probably on a similar level, maybe even worse sometimes than abuse that we might traditionally yeah. think of. I mean, think of those kids, all the unaccompanied migrant children at the border. Yeah. That have been so much in right. the news the last couple months. I mean, some of those kids have been through terrible trauma, not only the crossing, mm-hmm. which is traumatic and going through desert or whatever, but but some of them, you know, are especially the teenagers who are fleeing from gangs and, and uh, violence in their homes. And they need a lot of care when they get here to the United States. Yeah. The church is extremely involved in that. That's a whole nother... <laughs> I think we might talk about that later. We actually have a question about that, yeah. Yeah. Is there any patron saints for victims of child abuse? Well, there's, I always think of St. Maria Goretti, but, you know, I think there's one more. I mean, I think St. Maria Goretti, as far as sexual abuse, is, is, uh, you know, because she was raped. But but St. Germain Cousin, who's not as well known, (laughs) uh, she lived in the late 1500s, a French saint, and... um, when she was born, she had a deformed hand and had some disease. And uh, while she was still an infant, she lost her mother and her father remarried. And the father's second wife treated her cruelly. Mm. So with a lot of cruelty, she was made to work when she was very little as and uh, all day out in the fields and, you know, treated like a slave. And when she'd return at night, her stepmother made her sleep in the, in the in the stable or whatever and hmm. and even though she had these physical infirmities she didn't get any affection from her father or her stepmother and was just mistreated kind of reminds me like of the Cinderella story in some right. ways so so this is Saint Germain cousins and she or cousin and she um was a very holy girl. She would pray the rosary. She would. She was always praying. She'd go to, to mass, and and so with all of this happening and being treated so harshly, she found peace in her relationship with the Lord, and she died. She was only twenty two years old, but she was venerated very quickly, and and uh, so she's basically, I think, the not very well known. I think she's more well known in France. Uh, hmm. But she was canonized in the 19th century, and uh, you know, someone to look into. Yeah, right. Saint Germain cousin. Cousin, yeah. Okay, and then 
if anybody listening, I guess, has gone through any kind of abuse, whether they're still young or an adult, any encouragement for, I guess, reporting to authorities or seeking help, counseling, things like that? Oh, yeah, I definitely would recommend it. I think um, in the diocese, of course, we have Mary Golowski as a victim assistance coordinator. So, of course, she deals with those who've been abused, minors who were abused, and um, we try to provide help and healing to mm -hmm. anyone who has suffered from the abuse of cler by clergy or others who've worked for the church. But Mary would also know who, who to refer to. Okay. You so, know, so even if it had nothing to do with someone in in the church, yeah. we would be able to refer them to, to those who could help. Okay. If you have any questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com, where you can find past episodes as well. You can text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. Submit your question there. Bishop would respond to it on a future episode. And we have some questions about yoga, Dungeons and Dragons, German priests, and more coming up here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Notre Dame Federal Credit Union has a special mission to serve the Catholic Church in America. In 2020 alone, we've served over 800 parishes, schools, and nonprofits in more than 25 dioceses nationwide. We are a member-owned, not-for-profit cooperative, working hard to create a national Catholic financial alternative to the for-profit banks. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, and you've submitted questions for Bishop to answer. I will ask those questions. First up, I've heard criticism of parents, especially of mothers, in Mexico and South America who send their children to the U.S. border in hopes of a better future. We assume that they know about the legal ways to come in, but they may not have access to that information, and we have no idea what is leading them to the desperate decision. How should Catholics respond? I think the um, I'd underline that word desperate. Mm -hmm. I mean, just think of how heart-wrenching it must be for a mother or a father, a parent, to send their children to not accompany them. Mm -hmm. And what can lead them to, to allow this? Of course, it's been kind of overwhelming because when uh, President Biden lifted the restrictions on allowing these unaccompanied minors to enter, there were a lot who've been waiting, you know, and uh, kind of um, it's been difficult to process all of them. And thanks be to God, the church is very involved in trying to help getting foster parents, trying to get them reunited with family members here in the United States. And uh, it's just been been a really challenging uh, thing. But, but going back to what you said about a family that makes it such a decision, as I said, I think it must be. Uh, heart-wrenching mm -hmm. because on the one hand it's dangerous on the other hand it's dangerous to stay where they're at right so they're they're they must be really torn now my own experience you know that that northern triangle is where most of these miners are coming from you know el salvador guatemala and honduras mm -hmm. of course i only have experience in el salvador and i've seen you know i saw with my own eyes 
not only the poverty, but the the danger of violence, mm-hmm. um, the pressure to be part of a gang, mm-hmm. a violent gang, and then threats against their lives and well-being if they don't join a gang. Right. And what do you do? You know, you flee. And that's what's happened. And what happens, why would the children or the teenagers come across without their parents? Because because we're not allowing the parents. In other words, that the family itself is, they want to come in too, but Mm -hmm. the restrictions on asylum, especially now with the pandemic, they're not allowing. This was under Trump and under Biden. You know, now President Biden has allowed, open the borders so that these unaccompanied children would be welcomed in. And rather than being left on the other side of the border in Mexico in destitute conditions and right. sometimes dangerous conditions, especially with human smugglers and all of that. So it's a very complex issue, but I think the parent who allows it is still acting for the well-being of their child. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't question that. I've met parents like this who said, you know, they say, well, I really didn't have any choice. The only place they're going to be safe is if they're with their grandparents in the United States or with their uncle or aunt in the U.S. And I can just imagine the pain in their hearts saying goodbye. Mm -hmm. So it's because of, I think, the dangers that they face, either the, the destitution of poverty or more likely from that Northern Triangle escaping the violence. And on top of it, conditions have gotten worse in those three countries since the pandemic. And they had two bad hurricanes. I mean, yeah. these poor people, you know, my heart really goes out to them. And the bishops at the border, both on the Mexico side and on the U.S. side, you know, have been very, very active in helping Catholic charities and all the different Catholic organizations helping with these unaccompanied minors. Someone was saying to me, well, this isn't the solution. The solution is better conditions in Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. I said, I agree with you 100%. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what CRS is doing in El Salvador. But the last administration caught off all that funding to those three countries. So if we want to uh, get to the root causes of the situation in the Northern Triangle, we need to help those governments and the people where they live so that it's safer and Mm -hmm. economically possible uh, to to raise a family, that's the long range right. solution. All right, thank you for that. Our next listener said, "I've heard that yoga, mindfulness, and games like Dungeons and Dragons are entry points for evil spirits. Can you comment on whether or not that's true, and what kind of powers do evil spirits have?" Well, that's kind of putting a, a, a bunch of things together. I think I would be a little bit. Uh, reluctant to to speak of those things as as entry points for evil spirits. There is some controversy in religious circles mm-hmm. about some of these things, but you know the 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 genre of fantasy is something that I think is it can be wonderful. I mm-hmm. mean, look, read J.R. R. Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings. Okay, so you have this 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 world of fantasy. I think one has to be careful of saying that, well, Harry Potter or or this or that, Dungeons and Dragons is automatically something that leads to evil. No. The depiction of witches or you know, or some of this stuff, 
is not detrimental. It's a fantasy genre. Now, where it gets problematic is is if it is something that is involvement in things like crystals and tarot cards, Ouija boards to compel a spirit and things like that. No, that's messing with the occult. Okay. Engaging in witchcraft, other occult activities, the Catholic Church warns against those things. But when you look at something like uh, works of Tolkien and others, where you have, for example, or Harry Potter for that matter, I mean, you have things like magic and, mm-hmm. you know, think of the elves and the Lord of the Rings and, and things like that. I mean, that's not bad. You know, Tolkien will present the magic of the enemy, which is bad. Uh, and that's the kind of stuff that, that uh, the church would not allow. But I don't know enough about Dungeons and Dragons. I think it's just a game. I don't think it's an opening to evil spirits. I suppose with a lot of these, it it could get into a t- intention, right? right? So, I mean, if you're just playing a game, that's one thing. If if you are doing something actively to invite an evil spirit, if they, if you've taken in some kind of a right. twist on the game that that is celebrating the occult or, right. or Satan or something like that, that that'd be problematic. Right. right. Uh, I, I, maybe that also goes for things like yoga and mindfulness. Maybe and that's a different thing. Intent. I mean, that's well, okay. So they kind of put all this stuff together. Right. <laughs> uh, that, that's really not. I mean, when you get into okay, I think we have to look. Okay, what's authentic prayer for a Christian? Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's different forms of meditation, and some Christians have gotten involved in meditations that are associated with some Eastern religions, especially some Buddhist practices. Now, first of all, you have people who are searching. They're searching for peace, interior peace. They're mm-hmm. looking for maybe some spiritual, you know, their spiritual well-being. So mm-hmm. they look in different places, and they might look in some of these methods or techniques from other religions. One has to be very careful, though, because if one is, as a Christian, you know, our our prayer needs to be according to what God has revealed and needs to be centered in Christ. Mm-hmm. So... We don't engage in prayer as a self-centered kind of attempt to uh, arrive at some state of nirvana. No. Our focus is on union with God. Our focus is on Christ. So one has to be careful of not falling into certain errors and certain dangers of fusing Christian meditation with non-Christian meditation. Because Christian meditation is not centered on self, it's centered on God. Now, there might be some techniques that would be okay, for example, to arrive at a certain you know, posture. You can mm-hmm. use things that breathing or things like that, the demeanor of the body that can help rest our spirit a little bit. And you could see maybe some common elements between Christian and non-Christian in those things. And so you want to be in a position physically that you're, that's more suitable for prayer and reflection and, and meditation. Some people will do breathing exercises. I mean, think of the Jesus prayer. I mean, that's recommended. It's very common in, in Eastern Christianity, this rhythm of breathing, and you breathe in and out saying, uh, well, there's different words of the Jesus prayer, but Jesus, son of a living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you just repeat that, breathing in and breathing out with the beating of the heart, et cetera, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you let it become a cult of the body, 
that, you know, it's something like worshiping one's own body kinds of things or substituting bodily sensations for, you know, for real prayer. That's not right. Okay. So, and you can't just say, okay, now I have this, uh, you know, I'm more in a relaxed state. But if one sees those feelings, you can't just automatically say, well, that's, that's from the Holy Spirit. You know, I think you just have to be careful not to follow into, into certain areas. So, yeah, make sure your prayer is centered on Christ, that it's Trinitarian. I mean, he is our way to the Father. Mm-hmm. There is an instruction from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith that came out in 1989 on this. It was a letter to all the bishops of the church on some aspects of Christian meditation because mm-hmm. of some of the problems of places where they adopted things and fell into error, mm-hmm. even kind of reducing God to some kind of impersonal life force, and you know, or that can happen. So one mm-hmm. has to avoid those kinds of things and some of the aspects of non-Christian meditation. The last part of that question was, what kind of powers do evil spirits have? Well, I, I mean, it's only what God allows. Uh-huh. I mean, they... They um, obviously there's there's temptation, but cases of where they're actually involved in oppressing people or possessing people, that's less common. Okay. Yeah, I, w- I don't think one should be fixated on that. I mean, if one is living in God's grace, mm-hmm. you know, that's where our focus should be. It shouldn't be on evil spirits and things like that. Our focus should be on Christ and His grace. And, you know, we pray when we pray the Our Father, deliver us from evil. Mm-hmm. We can say the prayer to St. Michael, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't make that the, the, the central po- focus. The focus needs to be on Christ and we shouldn't be distracted. I mean, that's what the devil wants. Mm-hmm. He wants our attention, right? you know, and so do his, his the demons, you know, so just push them out. All right. Someone asked, can you give us an update on the schism that seems to be developing between German priests and Rome? Well, that's an interesting way to put it. They're involved in this synodal path or synodal way. Uh, it's not the priests. I mean, I'd say it's, it's more the bishops mm-hmm. than the priests. But um, there are priests involved and a lot of laity involved. And they have this, um, you know, the last two years, they've been undergoing this national synod. They're calling it a, a synodal path. Pope Francis has spoken in favor of synodality, that we have this model of bishops gathering with lay members, etc., and priests to plan and uh, to uh, help re-energize the church in a particular area. So the synodal path in Germany has four synodal forums, so they're addressing some particular topics. One of them is power and separation of powers in the church, joint participation and involvement in the mission. The second forum is life in succeeding relationships, living love in sexuality and partnership. Third, priestly existence today, and um, women in ministries and offices in the church. So they have these meetings, and a lot of discussion uh, about in these different areas. What has become problematic uh, and has been criticized quite a bit, both by the Vatican and others, in some of their deliberations, I mean, they've been 
kind of opening to things that aren't really faithful to some of the doctrines of the church mm-hmm. uh, and to our tradition. And so they even the Pope wrote to them and the Cardinal Prefect of the Vatican Congregation of Bishops sent them a letter warning them. And in that one group, they're, they're kind of fixated on ordination of women, which the church has already said it's not possible for ordination to the priesthood. That other group that's dealing with sexual morality has confl- is already contradicting elements of the church's teaching, uh, as found in Humanae Vitae and in the Catechism and the Magisterium of John Paul II and Benedict. So there have been a lot of, I would call, unorthodox things coming out of this, mm-hmm. this synodal path. And I think there's a lot of worry. You know, I'd, I wouldn't call it a schism, but... I mean, there's kind of a little bit of a danger of a schism if they if they continue on that path or or decide this would be the worst thing if the bishops would decide to implement things that go against the teachings of the church as upheld by the Pope mm-hmm. and the College of Bishops. I mean, it, like they're going off in the wrong way. That's what Martin Luther did, right. you know? He broke from the church. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to happen. I mean, please God, it won't. Right. But I think some of the way they're moving is dangerous and I think is going to create... And there's not all the Catholics in Germany are happy with this either. Mm-hmm. And some of this is is a reaction to the child abuse, sexual abuse crisis that, that so uh, upended the church's life in Germany that they're kind of looking at some of these more radical things and including questions about how power uh, structures in the church, priestly life, sexual morality, role of women in the church. You know, they have such a disaster, you know, such a difficult situation there that rather than trying to correct them according to the church's structure and church's teachings, they're kind of proposing changing some essential structures and some uh, essential teachings, which I think are very dangerous. It's, sometimes it's hard for me to believe that this is the same place where where Pope Benedict came from. You know, I it's know. like two different uh, types of bishops, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know what s- strikes me is so. I mean, I'm I, I don't understand it. I'm like most of these bishops would have been appointed. You know, by John Paul II, by mm-hmm. Benedict, by Francis, and yet a, a good number of them are adopting these. Not all of them. Yeah. You know, the Cardinal Archbishop of Cologne is very against this synodal path, and there's some others. But it looks like like the head of their Episcopal conference and and many of their bishops are okay with some of these. I mean, they were upset some of them about the uh, when the Vatican, you know, some weeks ago said that we uh, that they can't bless uh, homosexual unions mm-hmm. and they they spoke out right. against the Vatican that's kind of unheard of in recent I mean I I couldn't imagine that I mean our when I look at our own US Episcopal conference we're so loyal to to the Pope and to Rome yeah it's it's kind of like beyond my I, I don't see that yeah right well finally, we had somebody ask, do you have a favorite baseball team or a favorite baseball player? Oh, this was what everyone's been waiting yeah. for. I thought, did I ever <laughs> tell cliffhanger. you? cliffhanger. New I, York Yankees. New York Yankees. I do think you've mentioned that before. Yeah. Okay. They've won the, well, you probably know this. They won <laughs> I, I don't the know much world, about baseball. They know the, won the 
most World Series championships of any team. Okay. Congratulations. Ever. 27. Yeah. Yep. 27, now, why wow. am I a Pennsylvanian? How did yeah. I become a New York Yankee fan? No one in my family, no one else I knew was a Yankee fan. But when I was a kid, especially in the early 60s, I had a hero. Uh -huh. One of my heroes was Mickey Mantle. Okay. And he was such a powerful hitter. I mean, uh -huh. he would hit these home runs that went way beyond what anyone else. He was really, uh, and he was just so much immense talent. And, you know, he had a lot of injuries, and yet he continued, he continued. Huh. Uh, he was 18 years, he was never on another team. It was just on the New York Yankees, and not on another professional team. So he was one of the, be the game's best players, you know, played in the 50s and 60s. And that's when the Yankees were winning all these American League pennants and World Series titles. And so he was in a number of those championship games. And uh, I just loved it. You know, he, he, uh, uh, he's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He had 536 home runs. Um, <laughs> do you want any more stats? I can share them with you. But, do you have um, some baseball cards at home? Oh, I. you know what? That's the one thing. I wish I never would have gotten rid of them. Yeah. You know, I had a baseball uh, card collection, but I, I don't know. Maybe it was when in high school. I forget. But we would collect them. We would trade them. Did you do that as a kid? I didn't really get into it that much. I, I didn't get the whole baseball Cards thing, but I feel like your connection with the Yankees and Mickey Mantle would have been like my generation's connection with Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, like they were just win left and right. He was the best player in the league, and yeah, yeah. we, we kind of jumped on that bandwagon. Yeah, but look at look at the Yankees. I mean, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, <laughs> right? Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, Yogi Berra. The list goes on. Now, I have to admit. Sometimes people who know I'm a Yankee fan will come up to me, like here in Fort Wayne or uh -huh. South Bend, and they'll talk to me about the Yankees today, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not following them anymore. Yeah. It's not that I don't like them anymore. I've just lost, I, I don't have time to follow baseball. Right. And I never really was a National League fan, but I was invited by some people to see the Cubs play. And, you know, where I'm from, most of the people were Philadelphia Phillies fans. And I've kind of, if someone asked me now, what's my favorite National League team, I would say the Chicago Cubs, because I've been to a couple of games and I've really enjoyed it. I love yeah. that Wrigley Field and yeah. the whole atmosphere. So I've kind of, that's the only kind of Major League Baseball involvement I have now, although I would love to go back to New York and see the new Yankee Stadium. I was there for, before they tore down the old stadium, for a mass celebrated by Pope Benedict. What year was that? 2008 oh, right. or something? I'll never forget it because we vested in the locker rooms really? of the Yankees in the old Yankee Stadium. Uh -huh. So they had pictures up of Mickey Mantle and all these other players. <laughs> I was like so excited. Everyone's The other bishops are getting vested and talking about the mass coming uh -huh. up with Pope Benedict. There I am like trying to see all these, thinking of the history of that, yeah. of that locker room and all these great players who were down there. I think they must have thought I was crazy, but I was excited being there. But I was glad because I got to see that before uh, before they tore it down. And I haven't been in the new Yankee Stadium, which is built right next to it, but I'd like to get there. Do you have any pictures of you in the locker room? No, I don't think... Well, you know what? That's a good question. I'm going to have to look back because I would have had a cell phone then. Yeah. I have to look back and see if I took any. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Bishop, for another great episode of Truth and Charity. Reminder for people, if you have questions, to text the Holy Cross College text line at 260 436 9598. 
And before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. For additional resources on child abuse prevention, check out the links in the show notes. You'll find an interview with the Diocesan Safe Environment Coordinator, Kathy Cicello, there. Also, there's a link to a conversation with the Diocesan Victim Assistance Coordinator, Mary Glowowski, and the Secretary of Catholic Education, Carl Lesch. To listen to episodes of Truth in Charity anytime, do a search on your favorite podcast app, like Spotify or Apple. Hit subscribe or follow, and you'll never miss a new episode. Or go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop, and you'll find the entire archive there as well. There are more than 180 episodes available on topics ranging from the saints and sacraments to current events to some of Bishop's mission trips with Catholic Relief Services. Truth in Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com 